Hi there and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex over BTN.com and this is another football focus edition of the show. Every week, if you uh, haven't been following along, we bring in a national college football guest to help break down the week that was in college football and look ahead. And this week, Dennis Dodd of CBSSports.com is our guest. And we usually get our national guests on a conference call with Tom Deanhart of BTN.com along with myself. But unfortunately, this week we had some technical issues conferencing Tom in. So it was just uh, me and Dennis on the line today. So my apologies to Tommy D. We'll get those issues resolved before next week's episode. But we still had a great discussion with Dennis, who, by the way, showed an impressive ability to do the show while driving back to his Kansas City area home from Ames, Iowa. So shout out to him. We made it work. And we definitely had to because we're coming off probably the best weekend of the year in college football with some uh, thrilling games. And we had to get to all of that good stuff in our discussion and we'll get to that conversation with Dennis in just a moment and be sure to stay tuned after that chat as well for our weekly stat head segment with BTN researcher Harold Shelton so a ton of good stuff coming your way but first um, just want to get a couple of reminders out of the way Uh, one please subscribe if you haven't already to the take 10 podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play or Podbean and please rate and uh, leave a comment if you like the show and the deal to take 10% off your order through the Take 10 podcast on the btn.com shop is still active as well. So by going to BTN's online shop, you can get 10% off your order with the coupon code TAKE10. That's capital T-A-K-E, number one and zero. And there's all kinds of good stuff on that online store as we put Halloween behind us now. It feels like Halloween like a week-long holiday this year i don't know why i guess because the the weekend was was so long and everyone was dressing up and then so it gets to tuesday before the halloween day itself actually happened but anyway that's all behind us and we're getting to the holiday shopping season so be sure to take advantage of the coupon code take 10 on the btn.com store there's authentic team apparel to be found in that shop and a lot of other good stuff so take advantage of that and now we'll get to our football focus guest it's take 10's discussion with Dennis Dodd of CBSSports.com. I'm very pleased to be joined this week uh, by a national college football analyst to help put Big Ten football in perspective. It's Dennis Dodd. He's a national college football writer for CBSSports.com. And you can find him on Twitter at Dennis Dodd CBS. Dennis, you're on the road this morning. How you doing? How the uh, How's the drive going back from Iowa State? The, the drive is fine. It's, it's- remote it's boring so this uh, comes at a great time <laughs> <laughs> great hopefully we can spice up your drive a little bit uh yeah. Having some, yeah yeah having some technical issues getting tom deanhart on the line like we usually do the uh three-way call every week with the national analysts but uh we'll get those resolved for next week and this week it'll be uh two-way with myself and dennis and uh we'll have some fun so dennis to start off uh, i'm just going to declare it because uh my opinion just carries so much weight around here. Uh, that was the best weekend of college football of the year. I mean, it had it had upsets, it had thrillers, it had games coming down to the wire all over the place. And most of it was done in kind of that early evening hour due to a majority of these big games starting the afternoon, which I which I enjoyed. It was kind of a change from all the uh, late-night primetime games. And obviously the 39-38 Ohio State win over Penn State was the headliner, and it was everything. It was hyped up to be going in and more. So... We start off these shows uh, just getting some initial impressions from our guests. So just a quick synopsis of what you saw. I know it's hard to package it all in to you know a, a one or two minute little bite here. But but what stood out to you um, alongside the obvious Ohio State Penn State game from this past weekend in college football? Well, not just because I'm on BTN, but I, I think JT Barrett solidified his legacy at Ohio as an all-time great, you know, I wrote, obviously, last week that I didn't know how to evaluate Ohio State in the previous five games because 18 touchdowns and no interceptions and all those wins had come basically against air. Uh, And they were about to be tested again. Ohio State, they failed the first test against Oklahoma, and what what were they this year? Uh, Great program historically. Great program in the near term against Urban Meyer, but what have you done for me lately? And I thought that game, that rally, that fourth quarter defined what Ohio State is, uh, what it will be, and, and, you know, J.T. Barrett gets a plaque somewhere. 
because he's looks like he's going to be invited to New York. 16 straight passes at the end. One uh, one of the all timers. If I'm gushing, I, I mean to. I, I thought you know we we criticize these guys when they don't come through. Ohio State and Barrett came through when they they needed to. How about on the national level uh, outside the Big Ten? I know I know there's a uh, upset in in. Ames, where you just came from, with TCU going down. Yeah. How'd they pull that off? Well, still trying to define how they pulled it off. Um, but I, I don't think they understand what they've done. This is a program, Iowa State, that had one win over a top-five team in its history. It has two in the last three weeks. And, I, you know, I started saying, wow, it was the last team to do that. Actually, it was Houston last year <laughs> over uh, – over Oklahoma and Louisville. But this is Iowa State, uh, who just completed its first undefeated month in 80 years, 4-0 in October. I spent a day there, you know, trying to figure out what this is. They are tied for the Big 12 lead with five weeks left. And it's the phenomenon of Matt Campbell in his second year turning around a program, and I think he has turned it around. They're good defensively. But other than that, it's really hard to define who they are. I mean, we all know this. They've got a fifth-year senior walk-on quarterback who's uh, sparked them since the, the OU win. They've got their best defensive player was their starting quarterback last year who <laughs> lost his starting quarterback job, Joe Lanning, and is now their best defender. It's it, it's pure, good college football story. You know, we, we get so wrapped up in the other stuff, and, you know, frankly, it's kind of a grind writing – NCAA and off-the-field conduct issues. This is you, you can't see this in the NFL. This doesn't happen, um, but but it's happening at Iowa State. Yeah, I mean, I, I knew Iowa State's a basketball school. I guess I didn't realize till you put it yeah. into perspective there how barren their history had been, and it really just goes to show, you know, if you get the right coach into a situation that has a reasonable amount of resources, amazing things can happen. Yeah, and, and this wasn't in the piece, but. I talked to their athletic director, Jamie Pollard, who deserves all the credit for hiring this guy. Um, I said, how did you get on to him? How, you know, he, he'd been at uh, excuse me, Toledo for five years and won less than nine once in those five years, you know, got Toledo going in the MAC. And, and he, he, he was at a Division 1A meeting in Dallas in the beginning of 15. Knew Paul Rose, maybe he was on the hot seat as coach. And instead of going to a... Power Five dinner that usually already does Power Five ADs decided to go to the Mac ADs dinner and just just eavesdrop. What are they talking about? And the dinner was filled with their favorite coach and almost unanimously it was Matt Campbell. So he decided to look into it. You know, solid guy, solid values. He liked the fact that Matt value Matt Campbell had Christian values. He goes, I don't, I didn't care if he was a Christian or a Buddhist or anything. But he had that value to the point that he was cited while at Toledo by, I think the group was Freedom, Group for Religious Freedom, something like that, for taking a knee and doing the Lord's Prayer before the game. Whatever your politics are, that was the reality of the situation. And he stopped it. But that told, according to Jamie Pollard, that, okay, this guy's got, got some heft to um, and it. He, and he went from there. He, he watched film with them in press conferences, obviously X's and O's. And, and came up with this guy who, really a big, big deal, is that Matt Campbell brought his entire staff in mass, basically, from Toledo. And so it was pretty seamless when, when they got there and started recruiting. Um, yeah, I mean, Campbell's done a great job, and, and it kind of, uh, <laughs> Illinois fans I know, uh, look back yeah. and, and see the uh, Tim Beckman hire that set that program back so many years and, and, and you know, wish that they had hired the other guy, even though Campbell wasn't nearly up the ranks no. at that point yet. Uh, but, yeah, right. definitely check out uh, Dennis's piece on Iowa State. Um, is it up yet, or is it, is it coming out Tuesday? It, it, it will be out uh, this week as we sit here and talk, so I, I, hopefully Tuesday, yes. All right, yeah, so everyone uh, out there can yeah. check that out, one of the great stories in college football. I'll shift it back now to uh, that thrilling Ohio State-Penn State game. Uh, honestly, as a neutral observer, that was one of the best games I've ever watched, and, and you mentioned J.T. Barrett and what it did for his legacy. And to be honest, I'm just I'm just really happy for the guy. I mean, six or seven weeks ago on this show, I am too. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
like the questions were that I was posing to Tom and, and whoever, whatever guests we had on those weeks. Uh, I mean, we weren't really legitimately questioning JT Barrett's job, but at least we were wondering where Ohio State goes, how do they adjust with him. And there were certainly calls um, or at least questions about about his standing uh, as a starting quarterback. And then after Oklahoma, he's picked up steam, found his rhythm, and then absolutely just balled out against Penn State. I mean, 33-39, four touchdowns. No picks, 16 straight completions, and three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Those are video game numbers, and I'm, I'm thrilled for the guy. So where does that performance stack up among, you know, all time really, among, among games you've seen considering the stakes and, and the platform? Oh, gosh, you know, Sam Darnold was pretty good last year against Penn State. So, sure you know, they're in, in, a, in USC's first Rose Bowl in eight or nine years. So, yeah, look, it, Ohio State – Still hasn't won the Big Ten yet or the division. It looks like they're going to do both. But uh, with the season on the line, that was a really solid performance. And like you said, I, I was there. I spent the whole week of the Oklahoma game in Columbus and actually went on one of their sports talk stations with Bruce Hooley, who a lot of people know. He's a, he's a host there, former uh, Cleveland Plain Dealer writer. And that guy actually called in the week of the Oklahoma game, not after, and said, I'm sick of J.T. Barrett because he can't take us to the next level. At that point, J.T. Barrett was a two-time Big Ten quarterback of the year. Since the Heisman voting in, uh, in 15 or whatever it was, you know, uh, the all-time leader would become the all-time leader in passing yards, completions, and everything, uh, and, and taking them to a brink of a national championship in uh, in 14 when he got injured against Michigan. And, and I said, if that's the mentality here in Columbus, then they've got a problem. And, and sure enough, you saw it when they lost to, to Oklahoma that the immediate knee-jerk reaction that, that I saw was, well, can he hold on to his job? Let's bring it, bring on this next guy, the backup. Because we know, we know what J.T. Barrett's ceiling is. We've seen his floor, we've seen his ceiling, and I wrote at the time, J.T. Barrett's biggest problem that he's the rare 50 or senior quarterback. You know, guys that are any good are usually in the league or they've lost their jobs. Well, he was neither, and that's okay. And and and, and look what it, you know. A little patience has, has gotten them. All credit to him, Kevin Wilson, the new uh, the new offensive coordinator. Obviously, great great mind, great offensive coordinator, and Urban for sticking with him. Yeah, how much how much credit do you uh, give Kevin Wilson for this this turnaround? I mean, obviously, a move uh, probably had to be made after after the offense sputtered last year, getting shut out in the Fiesta Bowl, and all that. But um, you know, how much is is uh, how much credit is Kevin Wilson, I guess, deserving here, and how much is uh, J T. Barrett deserving um, with with this you know renaissance really with the Ohio State offense? A, a lot, because I thought that. Uh, Ohio State's offensive line let them down for uh, that had gotten a lot of notoriety let them down against Clemson and I thought got outplayed in, in the Oklahoma game and there there was a point there with guys transitioning in and out and going to the NFL three possible or already All-Americans that were on that Ohio State offensive line so it was like okay you know walk the walk and at that moment they had and the two biggest games in recent Ohio State history. He didn't have the weapons around him last year, J.T. Barrett. Um, the question was whether he had the weapons and the arms to take advantage of them. We knew about his legs. But it's easy to shut down a running quarterback if you know he can't throw downfield, and that's exactly what happened last year. Uh, we know now that J.T. Barrett has the weapons with, uh, with Dobbins. Dobbins ran for 524 yards in those five games prior to um, prior to uh, Penn State. Uh, Paris Campbell, I think, yeah, no, he did. Paris Campbell averaged 9.1 yards per touch as an all-purpose player in those five games. So they were getting the ball out there. They utilized. So there are legitimate weapons. But when he had to take the thing on his back, he was there you know, making the back shoulder throws, running when he had to, not turning it over, which is huge. And so, again, uh, you know, again, all credit to him. Yeah, let's shift the discussion to Penn State now. I mean, we could very easily be gushing over them right now. 
it, it looked like from the opening kick that they were gonna they were gonna roll, and then it looked like after Ohio State fumbled late in the game, down 15, that uh, that Penn State would uh, remain undefeated and, and have that inside track to Big Ten title in the playoff. But now that they've they've lost by one in the shoe, how should uh, how should Penn State fans feel? I mean, we saw the benefits of a one loss team sitting out the conference championship weekend last yeah. year when Ohio State, you know. Uh, miss the, the title game and then jump teams as other teams lost. So assuming Penn State is able to win out, uh, do you like their playoff prospects or is it just you know impossible to tell with all the clutter there is right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know their their problem is their resume, and you know again if it ends up this way compared to an eleven and one Notre Dame, compared to a possible twelve and one Oklahoma. I think that's going to be a problem. Oklahoma has the head-to-head against um, against Ohio State, and will have beaten uh, you know a, a ranked team in that league twice, considering their championship game. If that's the way it it works out, uh, and and they have a good loss, what is now a good loss, Iowa State. That's that's what it is. Not a great loss, a good loss. Uh, uh, Notre Dame at 11 and one will have the possibility without at that 13th data point of playing a possible six ranked team this season, and State's not going to do that. So their best hope is for I would say the Big 12 to take itself out of the running with the second loss by somebody, uh, and Notre Dame to take itself out of the second loss and make it harder for the committee because I think they they match up favorably against the Washington. There was no guarantee to go 12 and one, uh, but could. I think they match up favorably because the Washington schedule, non-conference schedule, is not very good. So uh, that's their best chance. Uh, that uh, it's really hard for me to see the committee putting two teams in from the same conference. You know, I, I think the best chance is the SEC, Georgia, Alabama, if they meet unbeaten in that championship game. Uh, you know, it, 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 it would be a, it would be a, you know, their best chance, I guess, would be, uh, I guess, Wisconsin winning out and them being the second best team. But again, Ohio State would have the head to head. So it, it does not look good for Penn State right now. Yeah, and we'll, uh, we'll get to some more college football playoff talk here in just a moment. But first, uh, I did want to discuss Michigan a little bit because they made a, uh, you know, a semi-significant move this past weekend going to redshirt freshman quarterback Brandon Peters. Uh, they were yeah. playing Rutgers, and, and, yeah, Rutgers was hanging around, and John O'Corn was struggling. He threw a pick, and Peters came in in the second quarter. Ended up going 10 of 14 for 124 yards, and uh, Michigan went on to roll, and uh, the offense looked a lot better, albeit against Rutgers. So, uh, I mean, first of all, this, this, this move had to be made, right, sooner or later. I mean, this, this was the right thing to do going to, to Peters is at least see what he got. Yeah, I mean, John O'Corn was brought in as a transfer from Houston to win the job. You know, they, they had no one that first year, and, uh, you know, Houston could uh, – I'm sorry, uh, O'Corn couldn't beat out um, – uh, uh, help me out Spade. with the guy's name. Yeah. Well, Spoon no, Spade. the first yep. year. Oh, the first uh, year. Yeah. Couldn't beat him out. So, and the only reason he was playing is because of an injury to State. And – so in year three, you know, they still don't have a quarterback. Uh, Spade's out for the year, and that's an issue. I, I don't know how good Brandon Peters is. He's highly rated, but, yeah, I, I think it had to happen. But I think the bigger picture there is that the, the offense has to get better at Michigan for, for Jim Harbaugh to fulfill his destiny because right now that's, I don't know, the fourth-best program in the Big Ten. Uh, you know, it looks like it's going to finish at best third in in the division, and maybe fourth. So, yeah, I you know I, I don't know if we learned any great truths out of Brandon Peters coming in Saturday. Yeah. So zooming out, then um, I know some national analysts are, are are still very optimistic about Michigan in the direction of that yeah. program under under Harbaugh, and I mean there there are some ripples of panic from certain corners in the last few weeks just because of. Uh, how they looked against Penn State and Michigan State. Uh, but I feel like a bunch of national analysts that still have cool heads about the big picture there. So uh, where do you sit? Are you optimistic that Michigan will be a Big Ten contender again, like as soon as next year? 
Yeah, I, I said uh, I said when he got hired that I think he'd win a national championship there and he'd win multiple champ- Big Ten championships as, as long as he wanted to be there. And he's a very good coach. Uh, he continues to be a very good coach. I, I think part of the perception now is when you see a Kirby Smart doing it in his second season, when you see a Scott Frost, when you see a Mark Rick turning it around, and here we are in year three and, you know, Jim Harbaugh's never won a conference championship. Uh, he may have at San, University of San Diego, I think, maybe in the Pioneer League. I can't remember, but uh, that's not an accomplishment that's been on his resume. So, but he's coached in the Super Bowl. He's succeeded everywhere he's been. And he's recruiting at a high level. So I, I see I see no reason why, why Michigan can't do, can't compete for championships. Uh you know, the, the issue is Urban Meyer. The issue is Mark D'Antonio. The issue is James Franklin, who are, who are damn good, too. And he's won in four now against against their rivals. Uh, that will have to change. If they lose to Ohio State, they'll be one in five. And I, I, I narrowed it down this way. I wrote this. I said, you know, no matter what happens, Ohio, uh, Michigan fans hate Ohio State more than they'll ever love Jim Harbaugh. So that has to change. Yeah, it's kind of like JT Barrett. I mean, like it's gonna kind of yeah. hang over Jim Harbaugh until he, until he turns it around, until he, until he proves that you know he yeah. can get it done. Um, so we'll get back now to, to some college football playoff talk because the rankings are being released tonight. We're recording this Tuesday morning, so even though we won't have the exact rankings, uh, kind of like Nick Saban said Monday at his presser, you know, none of it really truly matters right now because there's so much to no. play out. Uh, yeah, not a big deal. We don't know exactly how the lineup yet, but. Um, We'll do our best here in discussing it. So, in your power Great. rankings, in your power rankings for uh, CBSSports.com this week, you've got Georgia number one, Bama number two, Wisconsin number three, and Notre Dame at number four. And then Ohio State and Penn State are uh, in the seven and eight slots behind Clemson and Oklahoma. So, uh, this kind of segues perfectly into one of our fan questions we had submitted on Twitter for you because it involves those three teams you have ahead of Penn State and Ohio State, and that's yeah, uh, yeah Clemson, Oklahoma, and Notre Dame. So the, the question is uh, from uh, P. Andres, 2001. He asks, assuming the SEC champ is unbeaten, if Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Notre Dame all went out, uh, who gets left out in the cold there? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, okay, assuming assuming Alabama stays unbeaten. Uh, okay, who are the teams? Say it again. Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, Notre Dame. In, that, in the scenario that they all went out, who would uh, get well, left out in the cold? Okay, well, you, you first got to answer a question, is Georgia in or out in that scenario? And assuming Georgia wins out and they lose to Alabama, I think they're in. Right. So if, if those teams went out, then I think you've got, you've probably got Ohio State and you've probably got Clemson, although I'm not sure. Um, again, that, that Big Ten championship game, you know, they wanted to do this where they had a guaranteed rematch every year, a good team playing a good team, guaranteed. You know, how, how will that be viewed by the committee? But that's kind of, in that scenario, that's the way I see it. I think that the, the person asking the question is forgetting about Georgia, who has to be mentioned in that scenario. Yeah, I mean, I could see it being, you know, a close game, kind of similar to what we saw Penn State, Ohio State, and then, like you yeah. said, Georgia and Alabama both getting in, and then there's only two spots for the rest of the conferences. Um, yeah, it, I mean, yeah. Go ahead. Like, like, say if that happens, or in some situation, is there a chance that Wisconsin goes undefeated, or or Ohio State wins the Big Ten, and then the Big Ten gets shut out? Uh, well, no. Uh, any undefeated Power Five national, uh, I'm sorry, any undefeated Power Five champion is going to be in, because the only time it hasn't happened was 2004 with Auburn and the SEC, and that immediately started the wheels in motion for a playoff. Right. Because that, that could not abide to Mike Slide, uh, the former SEC commissioner, or, frankly, the rest of the SEC. So that's when it changed, and I can't see any scenario where an undefeated Power 5 champion would be left out, unless there's, unless there's five of them, which there's never been. Yeah, so what, what about if, uh, say, Ohio State, um, you know, beats Wisconsin in a, in a Big Ten title game, but Georgia and, and Alabama still 
look like they're going to sit one too. I mean, it, I'm trying to envision a scenario where the Big Ten gets left out, and there's so much left to play out. But I mean, if Notre Dame, you know, continues to win, then then it, do you think it could be tough for a one-loss Ohio State team, especially if Oklahoma wins out? You know, like you can't really put Ohio State in a hell Oklahoma, yeah. can you? Yeah, um, that, that and that's my contention of the first week of the of the rankings. And again, as we sit here and speak, we don't know what they're going to be. But yep. if if Ohio State is in that first four that's released, doesn't Oklahoma have to be there? Uh, they beat them head to head. They've got a good loss. The, the schedules are comparable, uh, so you know it's not, it's not like Oklahoma hasn't played anybody uh, at this point. So. You know, if that's the case, then you you've got to have Oklahoma in the top four in in that scenario. If, if Ohio State is in there, as we sit here right now, uh, you know, how do they get left out? Uh, again, uh, if, I think Notre Dame would be at a disadvantage for playing twelve games. Now, my my uh, colleague Jerry Palm said that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. I think it matters a lot. It matters to TCU and Baylor in two thousand. 14, and they were told so by Jeff Long, the committee chairman, the 13th data point. And in the, the Big 12 went point that it spent a year looking at expansion, where one of the upshots was having a championship game, which they settled on, but no expansion, to get that 13th data point. So I, in that scenario, I think that would matter a lot. But, sure. um, you know, uh, but if they went out, yeah, against and that final statement would be against what would have to be at this point an undefeated Wisconsin. I, I see little reason why they don't finish undefeated. I, I think that would go a long way. Why do you have uh, Georgia ahead of uh, Alabama, Georgia at number one? Oh, I think I, I always, when I do my rankings, I always give the benefit of the doubt that week to the team that played. And if you're sitting on the couch watching, you know, that's that's on you. I know everybody has two buys, but uh, Georgia to me has has challenged itself more, has better wins, has been more consistent. And you know, I'm talking about an Alabama team that beat Ole Miss 66 to three and just destroyed everybody. But consider this: this is a stat of the week. As we sit here right now, the eight teams that Alabama has played did not receive one vote in this week's AP poll. Not one. Florida State, Texas A&M, not one. So I, I feel okay with putting Georgia number one, having gone to Notre Dame and, and beaten that team and, you know, a really, really good victory this year. All right. Uh, and, yeah, like, like I said, we'll see how those rankings uh, come out. And uh, hopefully we're not dating ourselves too much here because it is all speculation. Um, but, but they will be released Tuesday night. And uh, by the time this releases, we will know – kind of what the committee's thinking and, and how it's uh, shaking out, at least initially. Uh, we'll look ahead to week 10 now in college football. Um, I, at least in the Big Ten, the slate is not really as enticing as uh, it was last week, but there's still some really good games. Um, and we'll start with the team that, that looked the best and, and won the biggest game, Ohio State. Now they've got to travel to Iowa City and play at Kinnick Stadium. So, Dennis, do you think that uh, – Iowa has another game in them like they like they did against Penn State where they kind of, you know, fed off the crowd the night game and uh, and took Ohio State or took Penn State down to the down to the wire because since that game they've, they've looked a lot worse to be honest. So do, yeah. do you see that being close or do you think Ohio State just rolls? No, I think I, I think yeah, I, I think that's what will happen. I think they'll take them down to the wire. I think it's look, Ohio State comes down after a big emotional game, there's got to be a natural letdown. At night, the Kinnick, you know, we've been there. We know what it's like. Uh, they're constructed, as they always are, under Kirk Ferentz to to be physical and run the ball and make big plays on uh, on special teams. And, and I think it will be that way. I would, you know, I, I have not done my picks, and I'm rushing home to do those today. I would probably take the, the uh, Iowa and the points right now because that looks like a trap game. Yes, absolutely. Um, and then we got another ranked matchup. Um, speaking of letdown games, the Big Ten, we've got uh, Penn State and Michigan State. So, so first of all, I mean, it's an, it's an 11 a.m. game for Penn State. I don't think they've played many yeah. of those this year at all. I guess a noon game in, in East Lansing. Um, and that's a team that Michigan State's coming off a letdown of their own. So, 
you know, do you think one team gets up for that game more than the other? I mean, I mean, it's it's biggest home game of the year for Michigan State. Yeah. Uh, how do you see that shaking out? I mean, I mean, does, does Penn State shake off the loss in Columbus, or, or are they kind of sluggish uh, after you know, kind of wearing that hand last week? Well, uh, we knew the three-game set for Penn State is going to define the season and the Heisman hopes of Saquon Barkley. So, and this is uh, you know, this is the last one, and it is not insignificant. Um, again, coming off a big emotional loss going on the road, Michigan State, a rivalry game, you know, Penn State's the better team. But Michigan State, as we've seen time after time, can drag you down on the mud. We saw it at Michigan. Uh, I don't think they're a great offensive team, but they've got a really, really good offensive coordinator who maxes out there. And then the defense speaks, speaks for itself, frankly. So, you know, I look, three quarters, at Ohio State in this season, I didn't think it had an answer for Saquon Barkley. But, we, you know, for whatever happened, they go away from him. You know, did they not salt the game away? They thought they had the game won. That, that happened. So they, they got to stop Barkley first and then go from there. Uh, the, I guess the magic number in this game is, I guess, because Penn State, and the number one defense in the country. They gave up 39 points. That's going to happen. Uh, you know, what's the magic number? Can Michigan State get to 24? I don't know if they can. I think Penn State can. But I guess I'd go with Penn State. Yeah, what, what do you think the issue is with Penn State's offense tending to disappear? Is it the offensive line? Because, I mean, it can look so high-octane and so explosive yeah. at times. And then, and then, like you said, Saquon Barkley disappears or McSorley gets shut down. So, so why... Why does it go into hibernation, do you think, occasionally? Uh, well, I, I, I love Joe Moorhead. I, I think he schooled Michigan, absolutely took him to school. Uh, Ohio State I, I kicked to Saquon Barkley to start the game. They kicked to Saquon Barkley. <laughs> they learned their lesson. I don't care if they kicked to him in the corner. You don't kick to Saquon Barkley. Right. So, you know, so they figure that part out. You know, I... Sometimes there's another team on the other side of the ball. I, I, Joe Moorhead, to me, is a, is a Frank Boyle's assistant coach of the year candidate still. I think he's done great. Uh, Trace McSorley is a leading passer in the Big Ten. Uh, I think was leading in, in average yards per, per attempt. Uh, he's cut down on his, on his interceptions and turnovers from last year, but Look, sometimes you can't explain a 15-minute span in a season why why that happens. You know, why did why did A&M collapse against UCLA in that first game? It's still college football. So, no, I look every team Penn State has played has tried to neutralize uh, Saquon Barkley, and it really hadn't because he returns kicks, he receives, he runs, uh, does that wheel route, which is very very good for him. He contributed in every game. In those 15 minutes, it, it, what Ohio State did, what Penn State didn't do, was was a factor. Yeah, let's uh, let's zoom out now to the national picture because there are some games that have potential to shake up the rankings and and scramble them, like we saw this past week, where, where a bunch of teams were shuffled in the top 10. Um, so we've got some some big matchups. We got Clemson and North Carolina State. We got Bedlam uh, with Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Uh, Alabama and LSU is always a, a huge matchup, and Virginia Tech and Miami. So, out of those games, uh, or if there are any other games that, that are on the slate, uh, do, do you see any posing more potential for shuffling or an upset than, than the others? Do any of those stick out as uh, dangerous for the teams that are in playoff contention? Well, Bedlam's playoff elimination. It, yep. it just is. Uh, and Mike Gundy is 2-10 in those games. If that's still water, I, to me, it's hard to put a piece of paper between these two games in this game. I, I would favor Oklahoma just because I think it has, if you've got an above-average defense in the Big 12, you've got a chance. And I think Oklahoma has an above-average defense. They've got better athletes on that side of the ball than Oklahoma State. That may not be saying much, but it might in this game. Um, you know, I may <laughs> 
Mason, two great quarterbacks, two Heisman-worthy quarterbacks. I saw a draft projection on our site recently that had Mason Rudolph, the overall number one player taken in the draft. So take that for what it's worth. And we know what Baker Mayfield can do. So when I say uh, Oklahoma might have the better defense, I mean they might have the better defense in a 45-42 game. And I think it helps the Big 12 if Oklahoma wins rather than Oklahoma State, You know, if you know what I mean. Uh, they've got that loss to TCU, which now looks worse, at home to a team that lost to Iowa State. Uh, uh, Oklahoma lost to Iowa State, too, but that was a direct loss, and they've rebounded from it. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I, I just I think you can't slide a piece of paper between them. Yeah, it'll be fun. Um, how about uh, LSU and Bama? I mean, I know Bama and Georgia are, you know, pretty much another stratosphere at the top of the SEC. Do you think yeah. LSU has any chance there? This was, this was, I guess, projected as maybe Alabama's biggest challenge until the SEC title game, either take the Auburn game. But then the line came out, and it was 20-plus, which I thought I read this week was the biggest in that game in over 20 years. So Alabama, with an off week, is expected to roll. Uh, LSU has righted itself. Ed Orgeron is off the hot seat. Darius Geis has gotten rolling, but you know we saw in this game what happened two years ago in Alabama where Leonard Fournette was going crazy, and he carried 19 times for 31 yards. And I expect that's what will happen in this game. I'm going to it, but it's more to take the temperature of, of Alabama at this point as they as they keep chugging along. So, you know, it, it, it doesn't look good for LSU. Yeah, and uh, one more Big Ten team I want to touch on before we wrap up. Uh, is the Nebraska Cornhuskers? They, you know, they, they've their struggles have been well documented this year. Yeah. They got rid of their AD. Um, it's year three under Mike Riley, and things are not going the way anyone would hope there. And uh, I mean, they got a nice win uh, in West Lafayette. I mean, I don't think people entering the season would have expected that Nebraska would would need a twelve point comeback in the fourth quarter to, to beat Purdue. Yeah. But that's what happened, and, and they got a. Uh, a touchdown in the final minute to beat the Boilermakers and a, and a Jeff Brom team that started out hot and now is uh, taking some L's. So, does this change anything on the ground in Nebraska? Do you think? Do you think no. aside from a feel good story, <laughs> like is it, is there any significance to that win at all besides you know just a, a feel good check in the win column? Yeah, not really. Uh, you know they got the, the AD now, so now they can get the coach, and it, it's really going to be interesting. Kind of maybe this happy pool between them and Florida for Scott Frost, and does the quote-unquote loser just go ahead and get uh, Dan Mullen? Whether, and I, I think that's the way this is going to go, unless Justin Fuente is, uh, is in the mix, which I think he is in Florida, that Florida or Nebraska win the, win the, the rights, or the, not the rights, but win the, uh, the bidding for Scott Frost, and it, it will become a bidding because his agent is very, very good, Trace Armstrong. And, and then the, the runner-up gets, uh, gets Dan Mullen, because we all know both schools need an infusion of offense, and Dan Mullen brings that immediately. Uh, Florida, probably more than Nebraska, because Florida, is, it's, it's going on seven years now, and it's a chronic problem on offense. So that's the, I think that's the biggest news in Nebraska more than actual football on the field. Were you surprised, that, uh, speaking of Florida, that they got rid of Jim McElwain midseason? I wasn't when it uh, evolved so quickly that a guy that was 22-12 and 12 in the SEC and won two consecutive division titles, it just really went bad real quick at the beginning of the week with the accusations about the death threat that he couldn't substantiate. In his first months on the job, had ripped the administration for not building enough facilities. Uh, you know, I don't know if you saw the tweet he sent out, eating dinner on the back deck with his family, him with a Nebraska hat at his side, and his son wearing a Huskers hat. What, what no, even I didn't is see that? that? Oh no, yeah, I didn't that see was that. out there. That was out there last week. So I was like, what even is that? <laughs> to the point that he screws up a great job. If he does none of that. They're not firing him this year. They're three and four. They're having a bad year. You know, they, they lose to Georgia. That's bad. But we're still talking about a team that could go to a bowl and 
and you look look the next year. But I, I can't figure it out. This, Jim McElwain coached A.J. McCarron, who eventually was a runner-up for the Heisman at Alabama, two national championship rings, um, had had coached a uh, – oh, Garrett Gray, I think was his name, at Colorado State, who was the third quarterback taken in his draft year. And they can't get anything going to Florida. It just doesn't make sense. So I was – yes, I was – after it devolved so quickly, I was not surprised. And since I brought him up, uh, I, I want to get your thoughts because it's been kind of a recurring topic when we have national writers on. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on what Jeff Brom's done at Purdue. Uh, I mean, obviously, it, it's it's been a nice turnaround now that they've, you know, kind of reality set in a little bit and they've had some injuries and and uh, taken a couple steps back after their uh, soaring start. Uh, yeah. Just, just give me a rundown of uh, how you think he's done there, what his future looks like at Purdue, and uh, if you think he can build that program to kind of a Joe Tiller-type level. I, I do, and I think that's what that's why Purdue hired him. He could get them back to that Joe Tiller level where, you know, in an odd year they could compete for a Big 12 title. He, he will get, if he's there long enough, he will get them to that stage. You saw early on especially how he turned that team around uh, offensively, uh, and really defensively. I thought in the Missouri game, Missouri gave up. I said that and wrote that, and I, and I wasn't the only one. And I have no explanation for that against Purdue. But, but good for Purdue. And I, I think it's a turnaround year. I think the arrow is pointing up. Uh, despite the Nebraska result, I think he's done a great job. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, despite, like you said, they're uh, looking rough the last few weeks, I think there should be nothing but optimism uh, in West Lafayette. Uh, Dennis, we will wrap up. Uh, what we usually do in this show is we pick a moment or a cool or unique uh, happenstance or, or play or something like that from the, from the previous week of college football and uh, call it our big moment of the week. So I will start. And um, it actually didn't happen on the field. It happened yesterday at uh, Mark D'Antonio's weekly press conference, a, a phone <laughs> that I assume, I assume was uh, recording uh, or transcribing his interview or whatever was uh, was on the podium and it went off and anyway, I think it was the uh, the Mona or Mona, yeah the ringtone and and then since the Rock is in that movie and uh, Lin Manuel Miranda both of those actors got involved and like tweeted about it and it was just kind of a funny moment because Mark D'Antonio you know is this stoic guy and and to see the mask come off and him kind of grin and answer the call. There are I, I have scientifically proven. There are three minutes a year where the veil comes down on Mark D'Antonio, and I think you saw the three minutes yesterday. And I, <laughs> I love Coach D, but there are moments when you see it. You know, it's like, it, it, and I love Coach D. You know, when, when you know, against Michigan Week, it's always personal. I'll never forget that quote. It's like, it's always personal, you know, no matter what. Uh, you know, little brother or whatever. But, yeah, he's like, that. I haven't seen, look, I've been with him alone and done one-on-ones. I haven't even seen it then. That's why I say, when you see it, relish it, because that's, that's good stuff. You kind of see the corner of his mouth uh, yeah. creep out, you know, smile a little bit. He kind of cracks it. It's, it's, it's funny to see. <laughs> um, so, Dennis, how about you? Do you have any uh, other cool or unique observations from the past weekend in college football? From from this week, uh, I am fascinated by the hurdling phenomenon. It is, and you know what I'm talking about: skilled players yeah. hurdling defenders. It is outlawed in 48 of the 50 states in high school, and I get that. That's a safety thing, but now it's become almost a dance move. You know, and somebody's going to get their clock cleaned. I'm not saying they should eliminate it. I'm just saying it's fun to watch. There was. Oh, gosh, there was a UCLA player, don't ask me who it was, that jumped near the goal line against Oregon and ended up on the shoulders of an Oregon defender standing up like, like it was a circus hat and tumbled into the end zone. <laughs> uh, you know, so it just, it just every time, now it's just become, you know, how can I set this guy up? Not get past him, but how do I hurdle him? I think that's, we're going to see more of it in, I think I'll write about it later in the year, yeah. Yeah, and then and then uh, we saw what can go wrong when when Mike Weber tried to hurdle a Penn State defender oh. and landed straight on his head and like you know oh. you hate to see that because you know like these guys have you know such strong and built like necks and heads and they have the helmet oh. but it's still scary to see that they look like a compressed disc 
Yeah, and then it happened. Yeah, it happened again uh, in in the Bears game on Sunday. So I was watching the Ohio State game, and, and yeah. Weber hurdled land on his head. And I think Tariq Cohen, same thing happened to him. So I mean, it's, it's an exciting play, and then it's always kind of crazy when it doesn't pan out. But yeah, it's yeah. a good point. That's kind of a. Uh, yeah. I'll definitely be looking out for uh, any future hurdling pieces. Um, yes, yes. If you got any ideas or, or gifts or anything, send them along. That, we'll that's definitely a visual use story. <laughs> Definitely use the Saquon Barkley one where he hurdled and broke a tackle oh. in midair because that's kind of iconic. He's got he's got about three or four of them. There's one his freshman year against Ohio State that might be the best because I went and looked at it because I asked him about it when I was there a couple weeks ago. And I, you know, that's when it, you know, he's obviously so athletic. But the one is look at his freshman year against Ohio State. It was amazing. All right, Dennis, uh, that's all I got for you. Um, I think we powered through the uh, technical issues with not being able to have Tom on. I think we adapted, and uh, I think we turned out a pretty good show here. So I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you uh, taking some time during your long drive through the Iowa and Kansas cornfields or wherever you are in the Midwest right now. (laughs) It was a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks again to Dennis for joining us from the road. I think it's the first episode we've done of this podcast with someone while they were driving and calling in, but uh, that's what we do here on this podcast. We, we hit milestones, and speaking of milestones, this is our 30th episode, which is cool because it's a nice round number, and it kind of makes you sit back and realize how many of these we've, we've done, and it's been a lot of fun getting each and every one out to, to you guys, the audience, and, and it's been uh, really cool to talk to and meet so many influential people in sports as well, so... Uh, happy to have 30 in the bank and hopefully a lot more ahead and before we wrap up we'll get to our stat head segment with Harold Shelton our BTN researcher and real quick I want to give you one more reminder that you can use the coupon code take10 at the btn.com store for 10% off your order just go to btn.com click that shop tab and put in T-A-K-E and number one zero when it asks for a coupon code and get you some Big Ten swag and, and do it um, ahead of the holiday holiday rush so, without further ado, let's toss it over to our stat head, BTN researcher, Harold Shelton. Back again in the BTN studio with our resident stat man, Harold Shelton. Harold, uh, pretty crazy weekend. How are you uh, recovering from all that right now? Yeah, it was definitely crazy. Um, it, was, it was funny because the noon window was kind of blah and the late window was kind of blah. You had three crazy games in the middle. I mean, that Indiana-Maryland game might have been the most physical game we've seen all year. It seemed like every few plays there was somebody down and needed <laughs> and needed help off the field. It was just a crazy game. Yeah, every I, we talk about this watching all these games. Every Indiana game seems like it takes four hours for whatever reason. Oh, yeah. It's four hours plus. It's like guaranteed. I don't know. I don't know why that is. I haven't looked into it enough, but uh, you know, you're in for a. Uh, the long haul when, when Indiana plays. So let's talk about the game a little bit right off the bat. I mean, I, the, the big game was obviously Ohio State-Penn State, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But uh, Indiana-Maryland, I was looking over your notes that you took from that game this past weekend, and it, it was a unique game, like you said. It was a high-scoring game. It was a fun game, and a game that had bold implications really for both teams. So what made that game, when you look at the box score, one that, uh, one that caught your eye and, and one that stands out in a season like this? Um, it's definitely one of those things where the box score doesn't tell the whole story. Because, I mean, if you look at the box, you wonder how Indiana lost. I mean, they, they ran 97 plays, which was 41 more than Maryland had. They had 138 more yards, 17 more first downs, you know, had the ball for th- over 36 minutes, uh, you know, went 11 for 23 on third down, even on uh, turnovers, fewer penalties, and you wonder how – when you have all of that going for you, you lose a game like that. But then you see that Maryland had three drives start inside Indiana's 20. They scored touchdowns on all three of them. You block a punt, return it for a touchdown, and that's how you lose. You get DJ Moore on your side. That doesn't hurt either. No. Yeah, he's one of the best we got. Yeah, exactly. So, like I said, uh, you know, this was a game between a couple of bowl hopefuls, and you'd think that the winner would have a better chance of making a bowl. Um but that might not be the case looking at the reigning schedules for Maryland and, and Indiana. Uh, Indiana's got Wisconsin next and then uh, Illinois-Purdue-Rutgers. So 
chance for three wins there uh, at the very least. And then Maryland's got a little bit of a tougher schedule. We, we've talked about how difficult their schedule has been all year long. So uh, you look at their situations right now, which team do you think has a better shot at getting to six? Uh, I would say Indiana. Um, like you said, they play Wisconsin this week, and they will fall to three and six, assuming they lose that. But Illinois right now is probably the worst team in the Big Ten. Purdue has been really scuffling, and Rutgers is probably the second-worst team. So I would say their schedule sets up for them to finish well, but the problem is they were supposed to beat Maryland, and they didn't. Um, Maryland, they play both Michigan schools and Penn State. Uh, I'd say Maryland, maybe their best shot is coming off the – you know, when they play Michigan State, Michigan State might be coming off of a three-game losing streak, and who knows where they might be at that point. But, uh, yeah, Maryland's definitely got a tough stretch, and they need to win Saturday. Saturday is not a sure thing against Rutgers. Yeah, it's a weird season for Indiana because they're probably going to be 0-6 in the Big Ten and 3-6, and like you said, and still a very good shot to make a bowl game. That's just a, I think that's something that, I don't know if you've looked back at it yet, but probably is uh, extremely rare if it's ever happened. Um, let's move on now uh, to the game that everyone's talking about still, uh, Ohio State and Penn State. And, and we'll look at it in the framework of their upcoming games because, you know, that game was uh, so hyped up and it lived up to it. But now these teams turn around and after that uh, 39-38 thriller where, you know, we saw Barkley at his best at times and JT Barrett at his absolute best, now these teams, it doesn't get much easier for these teams at all. They both uh, – Walk into hostile environments with Ohio State going to Iowa, a, a night game at Kinnick Stadium, and Penn State going to Michigan State, which won't be easy at all. So my question for you will start with uh, the Ohio State the Ohio State matchup at, at Kinnick. Do um, you think we see Iowa kind of drag Ohio State down into the muck like, like they do, especially at, at night there for whatever reason, with the, uh, the blackout and the crowd amped up, or, or do you think – JT Barrett and that offense is on such a level now where they're all clicking and in sync that um you know whatever extra energy Iowa might be able to draw at home won't matter too much uh Iowa just kind of finds a way to get games close in the fourth quarter Mm -hmm. um especially at home you know they've they're one three of their last four against top five teams at home, and the only loss was the Penn State game earlier this year. And Penn State needed, you know, a touchdown on the final play to win it. Uh, you know, I was just—they're a really tough football team. You know, Josie Jules fourth in the nation in tackles. Uh, you got Joshua Jackson, might be the most underrated corner in the country. He's leading the country in pass breakups, so you know he'll be matched up against those fast Ohio State receivers. Uh, I mean, for Iowa, it really is just about forcing turnovers and getting the ball to Akron Wiley in space. That was kind of the idea against Penn State. I mean, there's no reason why Penn State shouldn't have blown them out when you look at the box, but Iowa did just enough, kept them out of the end zone. Uh, you know, they give up a lot of yards between the 20s, but they seem to keep you out of the end zone. So if they could find a way to do that against Ohio State, I think they'll be right in it again. Yeah, we act like, you know, there's some mystical magic to I- Iowa keeping teams close. Um, and I think there is something to be said with the, the atmosphere kind of providing a boost to some degree. But like you said, it's there are numbers behind it. It's it's forcing turnovers and, and doing just enough to make those discrepancies in the box score, you know, not match the results in the field. Um, so before we move on to Penn State, Michigan State, uh, I just wanted you to put, if you could, JT Barrett's performance in perspective. He had the four touchdowns. I think he was 33-39. And... Uh, no picks. Like, once again, he's, he's on an incredible run of uh, turnover-free football. So, put his performance in perspective if you could. Um, I don't. I don't know what your range goes to if you want to do just Big Ten or or the entire country. But uh, how unique was that performance that we saw? Well, I would say in terms of it was a legacy-defining performance sure. for Barrett. I mean, last week we just, we talked about it. Can he do it in a big game? We've, we, he's got all the numbers. He's got all the records. Right. But you want to see him do it on a big stage in a big game. And to lead his team back from 18 points down against a, the number one scoring defense in the country to complete your last 16 passes of the game, to go perfect in third quarter with three touchdown passes, school record 423 yards. I mean, I don't know what more you could ask for him. And, you know, he's been – Unbelievable since the Oklahoma loss. It seems like the Kevin Wilson system is really starting to click for him. 
And if he's not in the top three in the Heisman race at this point, he should be. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we'll switch it over to, to talk about Penn State and, and their matchup with Michigan State a little bit. Um, Michigan State, uh, your guys uh, dropped a game that, to be honest, they really couldn't afford to drop if they had any Big Ten title aspirations. I mean, they still do technically have, you know, uh, they can they have their own path to the to the uh, title game if they win these next two weeks, but it's against Penn State and Ohio State, so that obviously won't be uh, a uh, easy task for them to, to pull off. So, first of all, what happened in that game? Because, to be honest, I was watching the Penn State-Ohio State game, and I saw, like, out of the corner of my eye, Michigan State in this triple overtime game with Northwestern. Northwestern pulls it out, um, and that's a game that if you're betting on, you probably take the under because, you know, Northwestern doesn't score a whole lot. Michigan State hasn't this year either. So, uh, I guess just break down what happened. What, like, how did that get to overtime, and then and then how did it get to a point at the end where you got your quarterback Brian Lewerke kind of running for his life, throwing the ball around? Yeah. So much like you were watching the Michigan State game out of one corner, it was kind of the opposite for me. You're right. <laughs> um, Understandably. Uh, but. Yeah, I would say, you know, Michigan State, they certainly had their chances. Uh, you know, they, they dropped an interception on Northwestern's first touchdown drive. They missed two field goals. One of them was a 32-yarder. Uh, they wind up driving down the field in the last minute to tie the game. And if one of those field goals was made earlier, they would probably walk out of there with a 20-17 to 17 win and yep. no one thinks anything of it. Another low-scoring defensive game, and Michigan State finds a way to win. Uh, but... You know, it seemed like the, the game plan was a little conservative for the first three quarters. They kind of let Lewerke loose uh, in the fourth quarter and you know, wound up becoming a, you know, a battle of the quarterbacks. Thorson uh, played really, really well. It's the second straight year he's played really well against Michigan State. Um, you know, to kind of ate him alive on a lot of underneath stuff, crossing routes. Uh, so he, you know, did, I don't even think he got sacked. And then they, they allowed 23 on the year, so the game plan was – uh, really well done by Northwestern and you know that was a big win for them two straight you know both in overtime against pretty good teams in Iowa and Michigan State and they seem to be heading on the right path might finish nine and three yeah so now that uh now that Penn State's coming to town it's it's going to be a big game obviously uh goes without saying it's a uh, noon start so it's not going to be like a hyped up night game like we'll see at Iowa and like we've seen with a lot of these uh Penn State Ohio State games all year long so, I guess my question is, um, with Penn State, it seems like they have a tendency to go into a lull or disappear and their offense goes quiet. It seems like it's boom or bust for them, you know. So, what are you expecting when Penn State takes the field? Are they, are they going to come out with their hair on fire like they, we've seen against Indiana and Ohio State in the first half, you know, running kicks back and, and finding a groove, or, or do you think uh, – Michigan State's capable of, you know, lulling them, in, lulling them to sleep, kind of, kind of how Ohio State did in the in the fourth quarter. And do you think that's even something that that defenses are forcing them to do, or is it self inflicted? Because uh, we asked Dennis Dodd earlier on this podcast, like, what, what's the deal? Why does Penn State kind of go into hibernation at times? And you know, the the answer we can come up with was, well, that's just football sometimes. So is there something that defenses are doing, or do you think? Um, Penn State just, for whatever reason, kind of, uh, you know, falls asleep at the wheel? Uh, I think a lot of it really is just with their offensive line. I mean, as, as great as they've been over the last two years and as great as the turnaround has been under Franklin and Bill O'Brien in general after the sanctions, the offensive line is usually the last piece that comes together because mm-hmm. you got to recruit a lot of those type of guys and get depth at that position. Uh, they don't really have that right now. Even last year, they weren't great in third down, third and short. A lot of their offense was big plays. Um, they had a ton of playmakers to do that. This year, it's pretty much the same. They can't run it when they want to run it. And, you know, Barkley had the big 36-yard touchdown run and ended up with 44 yards. Right. I mean, they just can't run it when they want to. I think they get overpowered at the line of scrimmage against better teams at times. Um, you know, we saw it against Northwestern. We saw it against Indiana. They can't run it when they want to run it. And sometimes that offense, if it can't hit the big play, it gets off the field pretty quick. Yeah, and I think most of the time they can mask it because their playmakers are so elite and athletic. But, you know, if you run into, a, you know, Nick Bosa, Sam Hubbard, 
Taekwon Lewis defensive line and, and unit like Ohio State had, you know, sometimes the wells in run dry when you when you try to go to those explosive playmakers and, exactly. and thirteen tackles for loss against that elite D line. Yeah, so so reason for that. So we'll see uh we'll see how Michigan State fares and, and uh today we talked longer than usual uh in this stat head segment. I'm not complaining. Uh, there's plenty to get to and uh it's always a good time. So we'll see what happens this week and uh I'll catch up again next week. Sounds good man. Should be another fun week of football. Yes sir. Thanks once again to Harold and Dennis for joining us. Tommy D, if you're listening, uh, sorry you had to sit this one out, but we will get Tom D and Hart back on next week, I promise, for our Football Focus edition. And thanks to everyone out there, as always, for listening. If you haven't heard already, uh, we dropped an episode with former Chicago Bear Corey Wooten earlier this week, so check that out. And we'll be releasing an episode featuring play-by-play man Brian Anderson. He of the Milwaukee Brewers and... Uh, postseason baseball and Turner, the NLCS, and, and among many other high-profile duties for Fox, Turner, and BTN. So definitely be on the lookout for those episodes, and if you subscribe, you uh, you won't miss a thing. And um, beyond that, that's really all we got for today. And um, like I said, keep your eyes peeled and ears open for the next episode on the Take 10 podcast. Thanks as always to Wes White for producing. And we'll talk to you next time.